If anyone tries to tell you that you can understand psychology by using mathematical formulae or logical analysis or um, statistical results, then you know one thing for sure. You know that they're trying to con you. Now, I wouldn't blame the person who's trying to con you. I'd blame, even though blame isn't a good word, but I would put the responsibility on us because we're so damn easy to con. We'll believe any rubbish just as long as it's coming from authoritative, supposedly authoritative sources. It's as if we take the top of our skulls off and just let whatever stuff be put into our brains that the authority figures are dishing out. So that whole setup only happens because we're so damn quick to be conned. You can't blame anyone for doing it. It's as if you <clears throat> got a brand new car and you leave it in a dodgy area of the inner city and you leave the keys in the ignition and the doors open. And maybe a sheet of paper with please take and drive away. Now, if you do that, you can't really say that the responsibility lies with whoever it was that actually jumps in the car and drives it off. So it's the same thing. We're far too gullible. We are far too reluctant to think for ourselves. So what I'm trying to argue here is that we can get much further using mythology and fairy tales to understand psychology. Way, way, way further. And that this isn't cutting edge research, but on the contrary, it's been knocking around for donkey's years, but no one takes a blind bit of notice of it. Except for a few people, I suppose, like Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and other people. Not so many, though, in comparison to what the mainstream thought of psychology would be. So one example that I'd like to talk about today, it's a very simple example of a psychological insight that comes from mythology. And the example has to do with the idea of copying and how the thinking mind essentially operates by copying. It copies what's there. And not only that, it copies what's there to make an inferior copy, a shoddy copy. And then it presents us with this shoddy copy as if it were the real thing. So that's a very simple idea. 
and it's one that we've definitely touched upon many times. But th there is a particular fairy story which shows this in a nice way or illustrates this basic principle of copying in a nice way. And it doesn't moralise because fairy stories don't moralise, but it does show the principle at work, the principle of how copying isn't really going to get you anywhere even though there's a strong tendency to do this because it's kind of easy. And the fairy story is one called Mother Holder, which is possibly less familiar than most, even though it starts in a kind of familiar way. And it starts with um, a young girl who has to do all the work and she's a stepdaughter and the stepmom's mean to her and the daughter's mean to her. So the daughter is like her mum. She's, she's mean and she's lazy and she has no conscience about getting the heroine of the story, whose name I can't remember, to do all the work. So one day, as far as I remember, the good-hearted girl who does all the work and who is treated badly by everyone, she's spinning on a little, on one of those little things that you spin with that has a sharp little point on it and she cuts her finger or pricks her finger and it gets all bloody. She's immediately very, very worried because she thinks that her stepmom's going to be very cross with her for messing up the thing with her blood. So she goes to wash it in the, in the well, then she slips, falls down it. And then she ends up in another world, as often happens in these circumstances. And she's looking around, she gets out of the well in the other world, she's looking around at the trees and the fields and the, this figure of an old lady comes over and the old lady is very formidable looking you wouldn't want to mess with her but she's not a witch she's a, a powerful figure kind of a mother figure and that's mother Hold, holder of course so what mother holder does she takes this girl back home and sets tasks for her, feeding the chickens, doing the laundry, doing this and doing that. And she's quite tough. She sets her a lot of work. <clears throat> but this this girl, she's used to hard work. It's no, nothing new to her and she works away and she doesn't complain. And every day she's, she's up again to start work again. And she's always got a good um, attitude. She's always happy and, and not bitter or resentful or anything like that. And Mother Holder grows to like her. Then one day the girl mentions that she, even though she's happy, she'd like to go back. She's getting homesick. So Mother Holder says, that's fine. No problem. Off you go. And she kind of takes her to the well and um, tells her to jump down it and not to worry. So in the process of going back to her own world, she returns 
much to the surprise of the mother, stepmother and stepsister, covered with gold coins. In the transition, this, all these gold coins get stuck to her. So she's got a fortune. She comes back from the world, she's got a fortune from the other world. Now both the stepmother and the stepsister see this and they're clever enough. They're smart enough. So they get Yuan to tell the story of what happened and the stepmother makes sure that her daughter understands it very well and she says jump down there you you go and do the same thing exactly the same thing and you bring back some gold for us because she's pure greedy of course <clears throat> so the, the stepsister does this ends up in the other world gets found by mother holder agrees to come back to the <coughs> cottage and to work and to start off with she works really hard because she's greedy for the money and that can make you work really really hard because you keep thinking about all the lovely money and you're really going to work hard but as time goes on as the weeks went by as the months went by her natural laziness comes out and she works less and less and she grumbles more and tries to um, <clears throat> cut corners more and all the rest of it it's inevitable we can all be a different person for a while <clears throat> but eventually uh, our true nature comes out sooner or later and then one day the, the step sister says I want to go home now I'm, I've had enough so mother holder says that's fine then and brings her to the well pushes her down it and in the transition the stepdaughter comes out the other end covered in black sticky tar from head to toe and the story says she's never able to wash off this black sticky tar as long as she lives so that wasn't such a good outcome So that's a nice story and it's a very simple story and to me it seems to indicate indicate very clearly how the rational mind how the calculating mind works by calculating not by sincerity but by calculation so it does the same thing but it does it in the wrong spirit <clears throat> it does it with an eye to a profit not out, not out of good heartedness or as you could also say spontaneity or um, um, good heartedness it's purely done for a reason it's purely done for profit so this is how the thinking mind works it never does anything without an eye to an outcome the idea of doing something for nothing just doesn't occur so when we're rationally orientated everything we do is calculated and that isn't to say we aren't really smart and we might latch on to all sorts of things and get clever about all sorts of things. <clears throat> and as Jung says somewhere, we'll see what other people do. Maybe some wise person does and we'll copy that. We'll copy it down to the letter in order to get the result of whatever the result of being really old and wise is. Who knows? Um, it could be magical powers. It could, <clears throat> could be, it could be um, <clears throat> the fact that 
you get to be happy that way and not <clears throat> wretchedly cantankerous and miserable the whole time. Or maybe, maybe you get health that way, who knows? So people would see what happens and they copy it. And <clears throat> that's what Jung says. He gives an example somewhere of how completely um, wrong-headed this is because it's never going to get any copying, never gets anyone any, anywhere. And with regard to um, wisdom, what we could, there is a saying that um, you can count your neighbor's gold all day long and all night long for as long as you want, but none of it's going to be yours. You're still going to be as poor as you ever were. So that's in relation to wisdom. Can't copy wisdom and the wise can't teach us their wisdom even though we'd like them to. And this has <clears throat> application to the whole field of um, self-development and kind of spirituality and alternative type of stuff. <clears throat> you can see that <clears throat> there is this huge desire, obviously, to be more spiritual, more enlightened less of a gobshite. And so we all are in the market to learn about this and we're reading the books and doing the online seminars and following the gurus and all the rest of it. We're copying as much as we possibly can out of our desire for the goal, the goal of multidimensional awakening, the goal of um, discovering eternity in our own lives the goal of um, oneness with the universe, whatever. We're pure desperate for that. And so we'll do whatever shit is necessary. But we completely misunderstand it. Because anything we do for the sake of a goal, for the sake of a <clears throat> desirable or attractive outcome, it's never going to get us anywhere. It's not even going to, we're not even going to get a millimetre that way. We're never going to get away from ourselves because it's the self which, wish to, which is, wishes to benefit itself, which is the same thing as saying it's the mind which wishes to obtain benefit on its own terms according to its way of seeing things. So if there was anyone, if some of the teachers that we are following did become more aware it wasn't because they wanted to become more aware. It wasn't because that was a goal they were following. It was out of their sincerity in everyday life and their spontaneity and their good heartedness. Just like the, the girl, the Cinderella type girl. Obviously that's not Cinderella, but it's the same kind of theme. Not by cleverness. Now, this is the one thing that the thinking mind is guaranteed, absolutely guaranteed, never to understand. It can't get it in a million years. The thinking mind cannot understand spontaneity. And it cannot understand sincerity because it does everything for a reason. So straight away, that bang goes sincerity. It would have to do something not for a reason. And yet the very nature of the rational mind is that nothing ever happens without a reason. Nothing at all happens without a reason.
And the reason is that same mind projected forward into the future. So then we could say that it makes a goal and my reason for doing what I'm doing is to reach that goal. <clears throat> but we're not getting anywhere because that what we call a reason or what we call a goal or whatever is that mind projected into the future. <clears throat> and what that means is not really that there's some goal in the future, it's just the mind extends itself so it can never leave the mind. So we're always trapped in the mind because the mind can't <clears throat> free itself from the mind. And anyway, it doesn't want to, not really. Why would it? <clears throat> the mind doesn't want to end itself. It's like an organization. It's like um, <clears throat> it's like um, any big organization. No big profit-making organization is going to liquidate itself. It goes against its structure. It goes against its very uh, rationale of the thing. It goes against its own mechanics. The corporation is a machine for making money. If it's making money and it's free to do so and it's carrying on to make money, it's not going to dissolve itself and give away all its wealth to worthy causes, to charity or whatever. They might give a bit of money away to charity and they do, big corporations, purely as a means to an end and the end being that they can earn even more money. They give a little bit away so they can get even more back. And that also is, is how the thinking mind works. It'll take risks, but only to obtain something at the end of it. So big corporations are exactly like the rational mind. And also we could say that big corporations are exactly like the rational or purposeful ego. It's all the same principle, it's all the same thing. So we can take this, um, idea or motif of copying another stage by considering what what Jung says. Jung says something about the devil. He says that the devil is the, <clears throat> the aping shadow of God. And this echoes medieval thought, I think. Um, not that I'm an expert in medieval theological thought, but it might have been St. Augustine or someone like that. But it was the idea was prevalent at the time, I believe, that the devil was nothing more than the ape of God. It doesn't mean that the devil was God's pet ape or anything like that. Ape just means to copy. So the devil copies God. It doesn't do as good a job of it. <clears throat> How would he? Because you don't expect that from the devil. And anyway, you don't expect that from copying. Copy an original, How's it? it's never going to surpass the original. And also it's done for a motivation. It's done for some shoddy motivation, whereas the original is not done for a motivation. It's not done to obtain something as, as a result. So that, of course, also touches upon the myth of the demiurge. And so even though Orthodox Christians hated the Gnostics and would um, happily put an end to them wherever they met them and burn all their teachings, they, they, there was a point of agreement there and alignment as, as, as they were in a few places, but the Gnostic um, tradition would have seen the world we live in, <clears throat> this world, 
that we can see all around us as being a copy. So the Demiurge copied <clears throat> what was there and then he prevented us from knowing what was there and said, here, look, I made the universe. And um, you better be grateful for that. Because <clears throat> I've made the whole universe and you can live in it, but you have to be grateful. So that's the Demiurge's kind of thing that he's got you. <clears throat> he's got you under a debt there straight away. But the thing is, we don't know it, but the copy is an inferior. There's loads of things about it that make it inferior. And you, of course, we have no way of knowing that. So for us, it's the ultimate. And <clears throat> the very, the very idea of the world being a inferior copy or lower analog of a higher reality, we have no way of thinking about that. We have no way of latching onto it because the thinking mind can never see itself in that way. The thinking mind always has to, always will see itself as the final word on the subject, the ultimate, the very, very ultimate. So thought says this is the ultimate picture of the world. This is the ultimate definitive authoritative picture of the world. Anything else is just moonshine. So when you st start talking about some illimitable state, as they talk about in the Kabbalah, which has produced via a process of downwards transformation an inferior copy, that doesn't make any sense. And also it totally devalues the rational mind, puts it kind of <clears throat> in a very subsidiary position. And also, <clears throat> it's, it's showing that what the rational mind says falls short, falls very, very short of the reality. And then if we were to be aware of that, nothing we thought or none of our beliefs or ideas would make the same sort of sense that they do now, because the only sense they have now is a kind of final authoritative sense, which is the sense that gives us security on the one hand and traps us on the other. So that would be gone completely. Instead, the thinking mind would still, we'd still have the ideas and the um, <clears throat> pictures of reality, but they would, they would be mere, they wouldn't actually pertain to reality. They'd be mere scratchings on a parchment or they'd be, they would not in any way be signifying reality and they would not, I don't know what they do signify, they would have some kind of um, analogy in, to certain situations in reality that they have a very limited kind of um, correspondence to and therefore a very limited kind of um, usefulness. But that's a very, very different thing from being a final reality. So to come back to the question of, of psychology, it's clear that this business of the mind creating and trapping us in final realities that are actually a poor copy. It's such a tremendous, um, such a tremendous insight to have regarding our lives. 
and it's, it is fair enough to say that it is a tremendous insight because when we have this invite, insight, it absolutely transforms everything. It transforms our entire understanding of ourselves and the, our entire understanding of the universal reality. So that's a, that's a big insight, obviously. Okay, thanks for watching.